Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Good morning. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Matt Lidicanen. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I invite you, uh, we'll get there in a little bit, but you can turn and put your thumb in the Bible at Matthew chapter 21. We're going to spend some time in that, in the Palm Sunday account, the triumphal entry. Faces out here, if you might be a newer person, or maybe a newer online, um, I invite you to fill out the blue card, either online or in one of the, in the pew backs. You can just pull it out and drop that in the offering boxes you leave today. Um, you know, something I've noticed is that in the world, it is easier to sort people into two groups. You have your heroes, and you have your villains. Because it's easier, right? It's easier when problems crop up in the world. Well, who's responsible for the problems? It's the villain. It's always the bad guy. And so for those of us who appreciate that kind of clarity, the Bible uh, scratches that itch in a way. Because as you see at the very end, there's a divine sorting. It talks about a sorting between the heroes and a sorting between the villains. Revelation says uh, in chapter 20, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And that's the point where all the good guys are like, Yay! The evil have been vanquished. Hurrah! We are, we're victorious, right? I mean, it's, it's exciting, and it's kind of like at the end of a Marvel movie or any kind of like action film where you're just like fist-bumping, like, yes! The bad guy just got taken out, you know? That's what we want. I mean, you walk out of the movie theater, you walk out, you like turn off Netflix or whatever it is, and you're just like, yes! This is what I was wanting, and this is a good satisfying resolution, because it's satisfying when the heroes win. And for a long time, the people of Israel were looking and hoping for a hero. And they were looking for that person who would sort out the villains for the, from the heroes. And as far as they were concerned, they knew who was who. They were the heroes. They were the good guys. And for generations, the problem that these heroes were wrestling with was that they didn't have their own land. The land that God swore to give to Abraham and his children's children's children. They were living on it, but it wasn't theirs. They were, in a manner of speaking, paying rent. And the landlord was Rome. And those Romans, they were a nasty bunch. They didn't believe in God. They wanted everyone to worship idols. They were corrupt and abusive. They were violent and unjust. They were this supervillain. A huge geopolitical power that would crush every rebellion or any nation that even attempted anything. They couldn't be beat. And without a superhero, that supervillain was not going anywhere anytime soon. And at the time, the Jews had a hope for a Messiah, a hero, 
who would swoop in and crush the bad guys, who would crush Rome and save the day. And so one day, this new rabbi comes onto the scene, Jesus of Nazareth, and for a long time, public opinion polls were all over the place as far as who this Jesus was. And one time, Jesus wanted to know, what do people say about me? So he asked his disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then, in John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, this is what happens after that sign. After people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So we see the spread. Jesus was a lot of things to a lot of different people. He was a resurrected Old Testament prophet. He was the prophet Moses predicted. He was a king. And the Jesus' opponents, glutton, drunk, even demon-possessed. A lot of things to a lot of different people. But then, when Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time on a donkey, on Palm Sunday, today, that's when the crowds, that's when the, the people have all said, and they've all decided in their hearts and their minds, this is the Messiah. This is the king. This is the hero that we are looking for. And this is how it happened. You can look at, at your Bible, Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied up there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread out their cloaks on the road, while others cut tree branches and spread them on the road. The crowds that went on ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Now I want you to imagine this moment. This is one of those moments, I mean, this, this whole Holy Week story is so familiar. It's very much like Christmas in so many ways, because it's that story that we hear over and over and over again. So I just imagine that Jesus is there in the center of this huge gathering of people, just, just a, a gaggle of people. And he is in the middle of this scene. A scene that is boiling over, broiling over with energy and excitement and anticipation. The crowd is roaring their approval. They are cheering. People are fists, throwing their fists in the air and, and waving just to see if they could, standing on tiptoes, they're waving to Jesus. They're putting their kids on their shoulders so their kids can see the Messiah. The Messiah is riding into Jerusalem right now. And now we're, they're, they're taking off their coats. They're laying them on the ground so that this donkey that's carrying the Messiah doesn't have to soil its hooves. The excitement is absolutely 
off, off the walls, off the charts, people cannot get enough of this moment. Think about what they're anticipating. Think about what their Messiah is going to do. Freedom's so close, they can almost taste it. For generations, people have been talking about this. Their grandparents have been telling their grandkids that one day it's not going to be like this. We're not going to have some sort of power over us. We're going to have some Messiah who's going to come and God's going to rescue us and rescue his people. We're going to have our own nation. We're going to have our own land. We're going to be able to be who we were supposed to be, the Abraham's children. This is what we're supposed to be. And pretty soon, I mean, they're seeing this guy. He's walking through on a donkey through this crowd and like the grandkids that the grandparents have been telling to them, like this Messiah's coming. They're, they can see him. They're on their kid, the shoulders of their parents. And they're like, I can see the Messiah. I can't believe it. And they're anticipating that in a few days he is going to be crowned king. He's going to trade that little goofy-looking donkey for a mighty war stallion. And he's going to go and kick out those villains. The heroes were going to rise up, take up arms, and be what they were supposed to be, and win the day. Everyone wanted this, even the disciples. When Peter heard Jesus talk about his death, he was like, I'm so sorry, Lord. I, I thought you, saw, you were talking about your death. Uh, I need to course correct you a little bit there. Uh, we need you alive so that we can do what we want to do. Okay? And that's the point at which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's not what we heard for. But it wasn't easy to shake. Just in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 20, we have... Uh, a famous request from none other than James and John, uh, Boanerges, sons of thunder, who, if you remember this story, uh, when they were going through a Samaritan village and they were kind of like, get out of here, Jesus, we don't want anything to do with you. They were like, Lord, should we call down lightning from heaven and incinerate them? Those are the people, okay? So what they're asking Jesus is like, we want to sit at your right hand and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. They're asking for power, and they're asking for authority because they are thinking, okay, at the time, Jesus said, don't, don't do that. But the day is coming when we're going to be able to join forces with our Lord, our, our King, and we're going to take out all the bad guys. Can't wait. They're ready. And I think a lot of us resonate with that. When we look out in the world... There's a lot of things to be upset about. There's a lot of things that make us say, boy, I just cannot wait until Jesus comes back. Because then he's going to sort out those heroes from those villains. And we look out the world with our binoculars. We can see a lot of bad things. We can see a lot of bad actors doing those bad things. And we like to keep it simple. Point fingers. See someone over there, right? They're the culprit. Stats show teen depression, suicidal ideations on the rise. Who do we blame for that? I see the social media companies over there. I see those greedy CEOs. They're in it just for the money. They don't care how many people they hurt. Take them down. 
We look through our binoculars. We see the abandonment of traditional values or of whatever value you happen to hold dear, so we blame the left for their aims and their ambitions. We blame the right for their aims and ambitions. And if you see something, you see a value that's kind of being undermined, you see some issue in the world, there is a group of people that you can point to and say, they're the problem. And wouldn't the world be a whole lot better if they were just out of here? Or consider the example that's all too frequent. Right? We have violence. It's mass shootings. Nashville happened not too long ago. And God have mercy on the families who are mourning today. But... When these things happen, it's the same shouting match that we are all familiar with. Blame the mental health. Blame the system. Blame the bureaucrats. Blame the NRA. Blame the weapons. Blame the manufacturers. And wouldn't it be nice if God just got rid of all that? All those villains out there. Because no matter what we see in our binoculars, there's a finger to blame. Finger to point. And the people in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday were shouting, Hosanna! And it means, originally in Hebrew, save us now. They wanted Jesus to save them from the politics and from the powers and the problems and the issues and the villains of their day. And that's often what we want too. We want God to get the villains and get them out of here. Hosanna, Jesus! But I wonder, what would happen if we traded our favorite pair of binoculars for a dusty microscope? I wonder what would happen if we turned that microscope around and pointed it, not at the problems of the world, but at our hearts. Would we cry out Hosanna to Jesus for the same things? Because it's really easy to pick up our binoculars and Monday morning quarterback all the problems in the world. It's easy to write angry posts. It's easy to get upset. It's easy to be aggrieved by all the things that make us hot and bothered in the world. But it takes courage and it takes humility to grab a microscope and point at your heart. And I'm not denying that the world's broken. Heavens knows it is. Heavens knows sin's made a whole mess of things. But our first order of business as the people of God, it's not the world. Our first order of business is ourselves. And as nice as it is to think that the world is neatly divided between heroes, good guys, and villains, the bad guys, any candid assessment will tell you that that is not the case. And one time in the 20th century, a UK newspaper published an article posing the question, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton, a friend and mentor of C.S. Lewis, responded like this, Dear Sirs, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. 
Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. And St. Paul turned the microscope in on himself, and he wrote this. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners immense patience as an example for those Am I fading out? like an old Sprint commercial. Can you hear me now? Okay. Just reading from Paul, right? So the people in the crowd were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They saw themselves as the heroes who would conquer right by his side. But in just a matter of days, those people who cried, Hosanna, would cry another word. The old hymn line says, Then crucify is all their breath, and for his death they thirst and cry. And it reminds me of a quote from The Dark Knight. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. We're a complicated bunch. Darkness and light is there inside all of us, but the word of God gives us a sober assessment. Like G.K. Chesterton, we can say, what's wrong with the world? I am. I'm the sinner. Far more sinner than saint, sometimes. And really, our greatest need for salvation isn't from something out there. It's not from a, some evil actor, some person, some organization, some party. It is from something in here. And that's what we should be crying Hosanna for. The songwriter Andrew Peterson sings, I'm tangled up in contradiction. I'm strangled by my own two hands. I'm hunted by the hounds of addiction. Hosanna. Hosanna. I've lied to everyone who trusts me. I've tried to fall when I could stand. I have only loved the ones who loved me. Hosanna. Hosanna. So what do you cry out for Hosanna today as you turn the microscope inward? A mix of villain and hero are we all. And if change is going to happen in this world, it's going to start here. And the reality is our darkness can only be made light by Jesus. It is to him and to him alone that we can cry, Hosanna, save us now, because he is a greater deliverer than anyone ever imagined him to be, better than the prophet, better than a king. He is the Son of God and the Savior to everyone who believes. Crucify may have gotten him on the cross, but it is on that cross that he did his greatest feet, his greatest miracle, where he made all the wrongs right, made all the sad things come untrue. That is where Jesus accomplished everything he came to do. It's where he took our pain, and he bore our suffering, and he bore our shame. He swallowed the wrath of God against the villainy of humankind. 
so that we can all now cry, Hosanna. Hosanna, Jesus. Save us now. You've crushed beneath your heel the vile serpent. You have carried to the grave the black stain. You have torn apart the temple's holy curtain. You have beaten death at death's own game. Hosanna. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are not saints. We're not heroes. We are the villains. And yet for all the villains in this world, you came and died. You came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding to your death for us. And so, Lord Jesus, would you give us the power and the humility and the boldness to seek inwardly, to look inwardly, and, and to confess and to, to heal and to release all that is dark into your light, Lord, so that we can be the change we want to see in our world. Give us the humility when we look outward to recognize that we, like Paul, are the chief of sinners. We do not hold the gavel. Lord, give us the grace to love, to extend forgiveness, and to be filled with grace, just as you have been filled with love and grace for our sakes. It is in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit we pray. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.